0: back to another episode of Affiliated. I've got Jimmy Kim here, the founder of Sendlane. We are recording live at Traffic and Conversion. So if you hear some background noise, it's because we're hustling and networking and all that kind of good stuff. But Jimmy, thanks for joining me here. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm stoked. We're just chatting like I'm so happy to have you in the space with Sendlane, which if people don't know, amazing ESP, affiliate friendly, direct response friendly. Like You get it and that I can just refer people over and you just take care of them. It's amazing. Um, and I want to just not to like to your horn too much. Sure. But I'd love to get a little bit of background about you for the people that maybe don't know you because you've got a really cool story from Product owner, right? Yeah. To software, too. Yeah, this. I, I've
1: done a little bit of everything in my life. I feel <laughs> like uh, my first life, I uh, was in the car business. Uh, that's oh. kind of how I learned my first professional life. Uh, really, like doing
0: car sales or something? I did.
1: Or? I watched cars. I sold cars. I financed cars. I was eventually a General Motor uh, at, at General Motors. I was a GM of uh, three Saturn stores towards the oh, end okay. of my career there as well, too. So. Uh, I've been in that world, and then I pivoted to digital one year, and that's kind of where I started to learn digital marketing and selling products and selling info products and both physical products. So I, I've done a little bit of everything down to, you know, the earliest days of selling on ClickBank back in like 2008, 2009. Uh, I don't even think Platinum was that cool back then. It was a piece of paper back then. Yeah, like I remember, <laughs> I, I do remember that piece of paper. It was like this brown piece of paper they flew over in like a, just a manila envelope. Like it wasn't anything special. We didn't have, now you guys give out plaques and yeah. parties. We didn't have any of that back then we were just kind of like oh cool thanks for being recognized and moving on right so thanks for putting up with that yeah thanks for putting up with us right so i did that and then uh you know this is how even our company was founded was based on the fact that we understood digital marketing understood affiliate marketing and direct response marketing and said hey why don't the other providers actually understand what we're doing we are getting blanketed with the wrong providers and the wrong affiliates that are doing more the gray third party the Mm -hmm. spam stuff that's happening and we recognized there was a difference there and we couldn't find the right platform to do it. And well, ultimately that's how Sendlane was born originally. And the cool thing about Sendlane was it was still not a business. It was a product that we used to power our business. So myself, Onyx, Singhal, the founder, and of course Zach, we were the founders of the company. The only reason it existed was because we needed better marketing for ourselves, gotcha. and that's how it all started. And the business itself didn't actually really start till 2017, so it was four years later that it actually became a business. Is that recent? Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's, only, it's only a couple years old yeah. now, and until then it was just kind of floating around and it was like in the ether. But it was, it wasn't the whole. Never was the point to start a business, right? But then we saw the problem, the need, the necessity, and that's when it started to really evolve in our head as well, too.
0: Did you maybe speak? to like maybe the intermediate marketer, right, who yep. uses a ESP now or a CRM, and I know the are sure. interchangeable in this case, but like where do people in direct response marketing and affiliate marketing run into trouble with ESPs, and then why does that happen?
1: Yeah, there's two reasons why. It's very simple. It's uh, the data, right? So. Tends, uh, uh, direct response or affiliate marketers tend to grow faster than the average normal person, the average Joe, right? So you get on the radar really fast when you're adding a thousand, 5,000 leads a day where a normal Joe is getting a 500 you know, 500 is like on a big deal, right? But these customers, you know, you know, those product launches happen, you get 30, 40,000 sales in a day or two. That's scary. And that throws off red flags all over the place if you don't know what's going on there. The second thing is the affiliate link or the referral link. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with the affiliate link, but however, the abuse happens with it, right? So when you think about affiliate marketing in a blanket term, it means that you're just simply referring to your, you know, your favorite customer or fa- you know your your favorite product to your customer and so forth. But there's another world where it's like you know, very more spammy, where it's like, here's a Lyft offer, here's an Uber offer, here's a home loan offer and stuff like that. And they get mixed really well together. And so ESPs are just like, you know what, we don't want to do anything referral or affiliate marketing, because we don't want to sit there and dive into each one of those businesses and understand it, we'd rather just look at you and say, if we don't take this business, then we don't have to deal with this problem, right? And that all triggers out. And there's a lot of other things we can talk about. But like, when you think about that side of things, and the reason why it comes in is those links and the, the referral, you don't, affiliates don't tend to understand like not tend to understand but they don't know what's on the other end sometimes right like how the other side of the customer is gonna be treated sure and that's where like people get worried about as well too so I think that's really the general reason why other ESP CRM's don't like it I think even us, we we say that we'll accept it, we have guidelines behind it, but we don't just blanket openly accept it either, right? We talk to the customer, we even have a great blog post about is Sendlane affiliate friendly because we found people Googling that and we put uh, put a, a post up all about it. We break down exactly how we are. Still branded, still gotta be, you know, still got to be your customers, still got to be your own list. you got to be mailing things in, within your vertical in space. You can't be like. But Jimmy, I just
0: want to slam my list with offers. Yeah,
1: well, yeah. That, that's the 2011 way of thinking, you know, <laughs> and uh, people are still doing that, unfortunately. But, you know, I think that's uh, one of the things that we think about in our company as well is like the evolution is happening. The change is happening. And, you know, as everyone's maturing as a company, I, I think it's really interesting because we see the marketers and the people we knew back when I was in my 20s and early, early 30s. I, I, you know, we were still younger, but like even the generation of the marketers have aged as well, too, because those early pioneers have now evolved into real businesses and become more and more mature. They've got employees now and stuff like that. It's crazy because back in, tw- we just contracted everything, right? We used, uh, not Upwork before, but that was called, uh, Odesk. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and you just go on Odesk and hire like random people. You had no idea who they were and it helped you do these kind of things. And now you have employees and people and team members. Uh, partnerships are now bigger back then. Partnerships were kind of like a little bit flaky cause they wanted to uh, Always compete against each other, and now we're in co-opetition, right? So I always think about like how things have changed a lot.
0: Uh, it has changed a lot. Yeah. So when you see brands, or even let's say an offer owner, they're maybe not a brand yet, yeah, quote unquote. You know, there's a difference there. But like, are they needing to adjust their strategies now more than they used to? Like I said, they can't just slam offers anymore. Like.
1: Yeah. I think, I think the, you know, what's interesting. I always go back and say digital marketers or digital, especially direct response marketers are usually ahead of the curve with a lot of things, right? They're always thinking ahead of the curve. How can they maximize revenue? How can they... But I think this is the one area that people haven't thought about because it hasn't been that important yet. And I think that yet is now starting to become more and more important. And that comes in two places. One, uh, really just building the relationship and really treating your people like real people, but also using data behind that to understand it as well too. And I think the e-commerce space in my opinion more the physical world has kind of actually carved that space a little bit better where digital kind of is starting to kind of pick that up and say hey what if we take that information that we have, not just the purchase, but if they purchased the upsell or not, or if they, how much they spent, how many times they repeated, are they purchasing again, are they engaging with you, opening with you, and using that information and data to actually deliver more meaningful messaging, right, and really work on the people that want to hear about your message. Because, you know, in, in this space, what's really interesting about direct response is you sell a product, right, and you're trying to sell products that are complementary to what you're doing today, right? But that can get overwhelming kind of fast as well, too. And I think that's where people need to start thinking about, hey, like, let's start sending more meaningful. It's about impact and about really being able to help the people and show them something great. But you don't want to overwhelm them. And then that's when they end up leaving you because they don't know what to do anymore. You know, you to- they bought like a, I don't know, a how to build a bird shelf or something. I don't know, a bird a house or something, right? And they bought a thing like that. And then you start sending them woodworking things and other things, right? But eventually you get overwhelmed really fast and I think attrition happens and that's one thing we've seen in this market especially with the people who are still doing the blast, the batch and blast type idea, attrition is at an all-time high for those types of leads right now, yet the people
0: who are actually building you, true sorry, relationships. When you say attrition, is that like unsubscribe, is that spam complaints, is that, that kind of... All of the
1: above, yeah, I, okay. I think, is lead attrition is happening really fast in this space because the ones that aren't really taking care of him, but then you look at the ones that are really taking care of their customers and they're just, they've got this lifelong journey and group. Like, let's look at Anik as a perfect example, as yeah. someone who I've known and watched, I've worked with him, I was a partner of his, he was my partner. and. Um, He's always managed his list, keeping that information and thing. And I've watched his list because he's been using Sendlane for years. So I watched his data and you can see the way that he treats his customers, the way that he's meaningfully going after it. He's generating more revenue than the average Joe and his customers absolutely love him.
0: I think that's key there, right, because I think a lot of people associate, oh, they might hear what you're saying and go, oh, this means less revenue, Yeah, right? But really it doesn't, no. right? Because you got these customers really trusting you, really agreeing with what you're saying, and they'll buy more from you, buy higher ticket products from Absolutely. you, right? So you can start right. to ascend and really upsell them and get a lot of value at the same time.
1: Yeah, so, and, I, and I think, hold on, and in that thought process, I think the big difference is someone like Anik has met his customers pretty often, right? Yeah. He's got trade shows and different things that he does. And some of these people on this side don't meet their customers very often. They treat them like a number as opposed to a person. And I think that's the difference that he gets And he understands that this person can be their advocate to help them organically grow to continue to buy products. And that's how you become a lifelong customer.
0: Do you think you have to be, quote, unquote, a personal brand or a brand to be able to do this? Or do you think of this more? I guess what I'm going with here is sometimes you see like an offer, right? And it's not really wrapped in a brand. It's like I've built this list on a weight loss offer. Mm -hmm. And it's like X weight, Y days kind of Mm -hmm. thing. Like, can they still take that same approach without having it wrapped in a brand?
1: I think that I think the approach can happen. It really yeah.
0: just depends on what the mentality
1: and what the goals are within the business as well too. And there's nothing wrong with the whole turn and burn and like pushing hard. like that, that's your model, that's your thing,' your opinion. I like to build a business that's lifelong and sustainable. so it's your opinion that you have to have there. But ultimately, I think yes, you can still do it, right? So, Think about daily deals, for example. Why do people subscribe to daily deals and stay on there and stay forever on or travel zoo? Because they want the deal. So maybe win, this is a right? deal yeah. guy, right? It's all about, in my opinion, how you train your subscribers, how you teach your tribe, how you're gonna act. Now, when you turn and burn, you know, the hard thing is there. You don't have to do it where you're just hitting them with offer after offer after offer. But if you do it in at least a personalized voice or show them why, given the understanding of more than just, you know, you're gonna lose some weight here, but more being able to be like, hey, you know, because you're this subscriber and you've done this, this is a great compliment to this, because of X, Y, and Z, it really takes the subscriber to a different level of thought because it's, it shows care. Right? Yeah. And it, that's, I think, what people want. People just want to be treated like humans nowadays, right? So that's, I think that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, not just a commodity. And, you know, you know, even the people on those lists know because I think the biggest thing that happens in this uh, in this space that's interesting is because it's competition and, you know, I'm promoting your offer, you're promoting my offer. Well, you're on both our lists, right? But if you treat me with, as, an, as a paycheck, but this guy's, like, talking to me, well, I'm gonna stick with this guy, not that guy, that's because yeah. why would I want to stay around and listen to him, right? So, like, I think about it like that and I see it right now because you can literally see the ones that are building brand and value are succeeding. They're skyrocketing, having the greatest years of their lives. And then the ones that aren't, they're struggling. They're having data problems. They're having deliverability problems. They're having all the different things that can happen with it.
0: Let's talk deliverability a bit. That's a big sure. topic for a lot of people, right? Because that directly affects yeah absolutely. revenue, right? Um, I was chatting with uh, Rich and Rich Sheffer, excuse me, sure. and, and he was explaining the way he put it, which I hadn't thought of before. It's like for every email, for every email that a customer doesn't open. Hurts your reputation with the ESP, or and I want to get your opinion on that. Like, is should you be going for max open rates you can get, while still adding value on just you know gamified silly tactics to get open rates? Like, how important is open rate to deliverability, and what are some other ways people can actually boost their delivery.
1: Sure, um, open rates are flawed, very okay. flawed, actually super flawed, and I think people use that because it's the easy metric to peg, it's the easy metric to tweak. You know, when I say you have a 3.5% click-through rate and tomorrow it's 3.6, that doesn't sound exciting, but if I say I have a 15% to 20% click open rate, that sounds exciting, but the reality is, it doesn't matter if they open your email or not, it's all about the click, and ultimately the bigger thing that comes out there is, there's a lot of bots, there's spiders, there's all these other things that really affect your open rate, where click rate is really true to telling that the person is interested in your product or service, right?
0: Using SendLine as the obvious example, is SendLine looking at click-through rate to, Distinguish. This is a healthy list mm-hmm. or a healthy. Okay.
1: Absolutely. We we don't look at just open rates. We look at a lot. We look at not an omen We look at clicks, and then we drive the clicks to separate them. There's a good click and there's a bad click too, as well, in my opinion. So a good click is obviously your offer, your call to action, but your bad click is your unsubscribe buttons to manage who is this. You know the the question of who that's the two different types of clicks, right? And especially with the changes coming out with iOS 15, for example, well, suddenly opens aren't really gonna be very relevant anymore, and I'm okay with that because I actually saw it as a big flaw in that people pegged the wrong way of thinking about mm. this. And I think this is gonna be the big eye-opening revolution some director response marketers are gonna have to really figure out. And I think the place that they need to start thinking about is in data, and people don't do that. Name and email is no longer enough. That's why we created our integration to ClickBank because we needed more than name and email because that's important now. And, and so, what kind of more. What,
0: Are you talking more segmenting now? Yes, okay. I'm talking
1: about segmenting yeah. your buyers based on what they purchased, how much they've spent, how often they spent it when they're visiting your website. Like your website should be a catalyst of data that you can use and then being able to drive those. And then to your point, you know, if they're not opening or clicking, that doesn't mean that you have to get rid of them right now. It means that you should start slowing those sends down and really targeting the customers that want your emails and then having sprinkles of have been trying to re-engage them along way but you can't just not do it but to your point of deliverability it's like a cup of water I think the best way I explain it is it's like a cup of water and every time you send to a bunch of people that don't open you're pouring it out and every time they're opening and you're pouring a little bit back in eventually okay, your like cup that. runs out and when your cup runs out your open rates are down to the bottom your click rates are down to the bottom, you're generating no revenue and that could be for a slew of different things of course and
0: on and on like the ESP side does that mean that that person's account or profile or kind of data? Is that just in a different tier that they're not getting higher deliverability?
1: No, you know, that's so this is the world has changed a lot. OK, I'll, t- I'll talk about this because I think people pegged the ESP so much on it. And I, 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 you know, this is the secret sauce, right? I'll tell yeah. you about it, right? We don't actually think the IP affects it just as much anymore. And the reason why is everything has changed. Gmail has their own alg- algorithm. Yahoo has, you know, everybody has their own algorithm, who they're using, what spam traps they're using, what spam uh, filters. It's it starts like this content is king. First of all, the more unique your content is, the better. And I know that in this space, they like, like to give rip each other a swipe content. File. Rip a swipe. Yeah. <laughs> That's literally the worst practice right now. And it's what's getting people in trouble today. Mm. Uh, it's something that we've had to fight and battle with. We try to explain to customers, and then they don't understand it. We can only work so hard with them, right? But ultimately, copy and paste is a really big problem because here's the problem it's not because copy and paste is a problem. Copy and paste is the problem because let's just say you have an offer, Thomas, and you gave me that copy. Well, all these other people out there, you know, there's a gray world of spammers out there who are just looking to pick up these swipes and spam them out. Well, when they do that, they gets filtered by the spam traps as this content, this subject line, this body are spam, obviously, because this spammer had done it. Yeah. And then here comes, you know, goody-two-shoe marketer over here, not looking to do anything bad, but then they take that same content and blast it. Well, what do the spam f- robots think? They're not, they're not humans. Remember, this is robots. They see content, content, same subject line, same... Su- well, that must be spam. Domain must be spam. This must be the sender. Let's blacklist him. And then what happens? That's the problem that's happening with it. So content number one, uh, and then that same thing comes with links as well too, which is really important why you mask it. Like, you know, best practice in the world, and I'll call it now in this podcast for you guys, but the best practice in the world, what's changing is, you're gonna have to start using your own domain and using bridge pages or landers, because Mm. you're no longer gonna be able to just directly link to affiliate links unless you, It's tough because you know why? The big change that happened before, they used to care about the top of the link, now they care about the bottom of the link now. Meaning, where does it end? So you can trick him all you want. Unfortunately, Google knows the world, for example, and you can only trick him so far. So, okay. you know, that's that's where things are changing. I see it. I see the world and how you're gonna have to do affiliate marketing. You're gonna have to drive into a page, a lander that you built, that's gonna talk about what it is. You click through that's where your affiliate link comes in. You click through that to get to the final offer. That's a pre sell page. It's nothing new. Yeah. Jeff Walker, PLF, all these things in the way back in the day when I learned that PLF back it's that's- like how native
0: advertising. That's how to do all it ages, is. Right? Yeah. Correct.
1: And really, the direct response world hasn't adopted that just yet. Gotcha. But they do mm-hmm. need to start adopting that because that's how you will maximize your deliverability. That literally is the key right there. If you're domain name to your end link is the same, you have increased reputation across the board when they see that because they think, oh, they're just taking it back to the website. You
0: probably- on the pro side of that, you probably get better data too of Absolutely. what your customers are doing on the pre-sale page. Well, what's resonating. What's let's the, just
1: imagine your Google Analytics, yeah, right? Exactly. You can see your demographics. Maybe you thought you're male, 45 to 50, and suddenly you're like, "Oh, I even there's think about females, that. Yeah. right?" Mm-hmm. You can also see how they're engaging on your website. You can see how long they're staying on your website. You can use all that
0: data to drive better marketing and engagement down on on the, the top other side. End, yeah, yeah okay. that's it. That, that makes a ton of yeah. sense. So going back to the copy piece and the yeah. content piece, right? Because you know, everyone gets told, oh, this is the best converting swipe. Of course. So take this, plug it in, copy paste like you're saying, but that's a no-go. How unique do you need to make it if you're gonna try to make it unique and kind of speak to your voice?
1: Um, So the rule of thumb is 40%. Okay. So what I like to say is use the framework. If they've proven that framework works, we can come with synonyms. We're marketers, we're supposed to be smart about this. We're copywriters, we're supposed to be smart. So come up with that unique twist to whatever the market, but they've just given you the framework, what's working, what's the hook that's working, this This is is a story, exactly. This is how it sells really well. But is it truly selling as well? Maybe, maybe not. It depends, right? And the second part that was really flawed about the swipe file is your audience and my audience are different. They listen to us different. They listen to our words differently and they react to us differently. And we also mail at different times. So all those factors come into place where this is where you say that framework should be perfect for your mail, but now make it your own, make it your own voice, you know what I mean? You know when you go to like those, uh, what are they uh, like those singing, like American Idol and stuff, oh, they're yeah. always like, make it your own. Like that's what you should be thinking. You take the rendition and make it your own, and that's when you got the right formula to use. They've already figured out the formula, but you don't need to copy everything from them because at that point, you're just copying. And I know it's about speed and all that stuff, but reality is, this is the way that marketing and the ones that I see continuously through our thousands of customers that do the best in this space, all do it this way. They all write custom, they all have a voice and a tone, and you can always tell when I read it, without even knowing who it is, I know who it is. That's how it should be, and that's how Onyx does it too, that you know who it is,
0: you know? That makes a ton of sense, yeah. So, going back to some of the data a bit, and maybe some tactics, if you will, but I wanna stay on the quality stuff, like where, do you see people needing to pivot past you know the maybe not pivot what are some tactics that people can be doing that add value that get the clicks and can do this in their current operating structure
1: yeah um obviously you need to have the right tool to collect the data that's Mm -hmm. the most important thing and regardless of our tool or any of the competitive tools that you're using just make sure you have a place where you can collect the data so that you can actually Understand your customer a
0: little bit better do you have it do you have, like um, when you say tool. Do you mean ESP? Yeah i it yeah. starts
1: at just the ESP yeah. like you know Like when we pull when, for example when we're worth Clickbank for example and your customer We don't just get abandoned cards, but we also get your actual customer what they purchased how much they spent what their location We get all the information that Clickbank is offering and what that the whole point of that is So the customer the marketer can actually do better with that information, you know, I think people lose opportunities because upsells aren't happening for example because they just pour them all into one list because they want to batch and blast but what if you already knew if they purchased an upsell or not that alone is a small tactic. It's well,
0: a much better customer journey too, yeah. right? Because we're just going to be like, I just bought that. Like, Why would you be directing yeah. to a third
1: party? Yeah. Focus on how you maximize your LTV so it's today. Like, oh, like
0: Amazon mills, right? It's like, oh, you bought this. You might be interested in mm-hmm. this, right? It's like, you kind of like they meet you where you're at, not yeah. where they want you to be. Right?
1: Yeah, and yeah. sometimes people will buy the front end product and they're just not ready to buy the upsell just yeah. yet. But you should continue to work that journey to sell them that upsell. I think people
0: don't—they don't focus on working their own stuff before they start putting. Is, it is out. there like? Let's say I'm a marketer and I've got a decent sized list. Yeah. I right know that's relative for everybody, so we won't name numbers. But sure. um, And I want to start collecting this data better mm-hmm. and logging it better and using it. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a lot. Yeah. Right? It's like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. Is there like really a starting point of like, this is the metric you should follow first, or this is the type of data you should collect first and start tailoring it there? Yeah. I mean, it's right.
1: it's as simple as like how, what they've done, like purchase history. Like you could yeah. just use as simple as purchase history. You can use value. Like maybe they bought your front end product, or maybe they bought the downsell to their front end product, whatever that number is. Start looking at the amount of money they've spent and start segmenting users. It, it's no different than e commerce. And the way that I, I like to think, like, you need to figure out what your segments of users are you need to create three segments. They're the low inactives, the ones that haven't spent a lot that aren't willing. And then your VIP customers who are spending the most money, you should treat them all separately because your VIP customers are more willing to spend and buy. you should treat them like gold and you know, your middle segment, your goal should be how do I drive them to become my high segment and at low, you're just trying to get them to buy and open their wallets up and you should be treating them with three separate emails, three different communications because they need to be resonated differently. One needs to believe in you more, one believes in you so much that they'll buy anything you tell them and one is like I like you but I'm not sure if I want to continue on with this, right? Work. So you work with each one of those differently and I think that's the way I use it. So if I'm using just the basic data, I'm using just purchase data. If I want to get really deep, I look at intent, I look at devices, I look at uh, information around how they've engaged with you in the past not just on your email or SMS but also even on your website are they coming back to your website are they looking at it more often you know retargeting is a big thing right but you can do that with email with remarketing through uh, email as well too and buy your website right There's just so much technology out there and the cool thing is it's not hard to do anymore that's the cool thing 10 years ago when we were doing this this was unheard of like the idea of what we're trying to do and what we're trying to solve people couldn't figure it out but now it's like normal
0: so with this kind of is any of this data at risk of some of this like iOS style updates where to, like where third-party data is kind of going away or is this all data that you can just control with these?
1: This would be own data. This is yeah. personal data. This so we first always first-party data. First-party, it's your data. It's whatever. The only third-party data you're going to really miss out is if you had something like a live intent or something where you can feed or like a full contact where you can feed more information into it. But really, that first-party data is your part, your own data, your own website. So. Yeah, there's no problem with it. I think there's still obviously anonymous tracking now and things that are going to happen and you know the world's going to go all over the place. I'll tell you one thing I think is when I get the option of turning off tracking or not, I always turn it on because I actually want targeted ads. I think the world doesn't realize that it's going to be really crappy when you're like browsing Facebook and it's got like some Hyundai one and then like some like kid toy thing because there's no targeting anymore, right? Like. I don't think people recognize that sometimes you got to let a little it's bit of tracking nice. happen. Yeah. It's kind of nice. I like to I buy stuff off Facebook because I'm impulsive like that. And yeah. I get excited when someone shows me some cool gadget that I would think for my car or something that I've never thought about. No, right? I
0: joke. Like Google owns my life because yeah. it's like they've made it so convenient. You yeah. know? It's so like, does it's Amazon, the, right? Yeah. Amazon does a
1: great job of retargeting mm-hmm. you. And, you know, that's funny is that those guys will be OK because as long as you keep buying from them, they have your data and they know what you like and they'll be able to do it. And that's the same way you got to think about direct response as well, too. And I know a lot of people think, oh, I have one product or whatever but you're gonna expand everyone's gonna have more lines of product you might as well get the right information and understanding of them along the way
0: i love that yeah where when should people be cleaning their list and is there a good way to do that and kind of like keeping it help prune I guess it should say. be yeah. all the time all the time all mm-hmm. the
1: time it should be either either using an automated system or doing it and when I when I talked earlier about what slip, kind of
0: rules do you recommend yeah. for people to follow when they're wanting to keep their list pruned and healthy
1: yeah so you should be looking at a lot of things from engagement right so that's opens clicks website visits then you should secondly look at uh, actual date and time how long have they been on your list as well too? Uh confirmed or double opt-in versus single opt-in people like there's all these little metrics that come in and then even your high-value customers like if you know your customers a high-value you should be treating them differently But you should also not get rid of them just as quickly as you get rid of your low-end partial or person who's never bought from you So you should be treating it almost like lead scoring. you know in the B2B world. We have lead scoring, right? Yeah, in the C world There's no such thing as lead scoring and I think that's something that's missing out there And so there's automated systems. We have automated systems that you can do it with it's not bad It just takes the basic idea of open or click and says did they engage on something but you know the best hygiene people are not just taking that information; they're really just carving out the right people, doing a lot of testing, sending core segmented uh, emails out and so forth, and then really making decisions based on that as well too. So you know you take your subscribers that never purchased, and you look at them, how did they engage, look at their history, how long have they been with you, and then you start chopping them down. You can't just chop them with a with a knife without thinking about that clearly. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Yeah. What um, other than Onik is there some other people that? other lists that people could get on to see who does it right?
1: Ooh, that that starts getting a little gray. I don't like to talk
0: oh, about it. Oh, that's fine.
1: I'm a little, I mean... They can talk to me privately about that and I'm sure. happy to say yeah. it, but not publicly. I don't want to put customers on blast and have a bunch of marketers follow them and copy their stuff. Makes
0: total sense. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I can say on it because, you know, he's a friend and you know, he's probably still going to get mad about it, but it's okay. But everyone's on his list anyways.
0: So. Yeah. No, it's yeah. Well, what I like to have following some people's lists and stuff is that you do see it's like, oh, when I engage with this, this automation happens, mm-hmm. really start to learn around that. Yeah. Better. Or
1: your Facebook yep. ad starts popping up and mm-hmm. you're following you around or you missed it. You can always tell when someone's a better marketer. You just, you get followed around, but in a right way, not the wrong way. You're not just getting Emails, you're getting browbeaten exactly like there's other things that are happening and you're like, oh, wait, wait, wait It's all connecting to me, you know,
0: yeah. Yeah, so it's cool to see. Yeah, nice. what Are there any obvious mistakes people make when they're choosing an ESP other than just not choosing send but <laughs> <laughs> But like what are some things that people should be mindful of and like maybe it's a feature set Maybe it's just other kind of yeah Lay of the land type stuff.
1: Yeah, I think I think it's just feature set. Like, how advanced are you? What are you willing to do? That doesn't. Sedline's not for everybody. Like, you don't come to Sendlane when you have no clue on technology and stuff. We know that about our products. So, like that scares people where they might need a really more basic product out there as well too. So understanding your stage, understanding your needs, obviously understanding what you wanna do and making sure it's realistic at the same time as well. And uh, you know, just that's really it. And then price and everything else kinda comes into place. But for us, for example, like we care about the customer service side so much. And I think people also care about that as well too. And that's important, test the customer service. Like we always make a joke, our free trial service, customer service is better than people's paid customer service. We have that for a reason because we know that first impression is so important. Well, go get your first impressions. I don't think that we should be the only choice. You should always check out other platforms, but come around and make sure you understand do you like the product? Is it easy to use? How's the integration working? How's, how's the product work and flow? How's the customer service works? How's the pricing work for you? You know, like not the pricing might not work for you everywhere as well, too. But, you know, it's it's a decision. It shouldn't just be this is what everyone should use and that's it. Like you should still do your educated guess. I'm, I'm a pretty logical guy with that stuff. I think that you should and I do that same thing for any product i buy right sure. that
0: makes a little sense yeah how, i hope i think you might have insight into this how big of a team is running an established email list when you're talking about the level that you're talking about right where you're segmenting in three different things or getting different emails or different different sends different times like who's running that for somebody?
1: Usually, they have an email guy, like an email marketer with an analyst, sometimes a copywriter. So it's usually two, three people usually. Uh, It depends. Sometimes the email marketer is also the copywriter, so you have one person there, and sometimes the email marketer is also the analyst. That's more common, and so you have one person and then a copywriter. But you don't need more than two, three people. I mean, some of the biggest operations I know, they don't have more than two, three people running this. They just do a good job because that's the only focus that they have in life as far as in their business, right? That's what they focus on, and that's what they do. Too often, and I think I always laugh, the reason why email marketing has a weird problem is that everybody learned from someone else at some level, right? And this is the story, I always tell people this. Back in, let's just pretend 2005, when you were just green and you were marketing, right? You had a VP of marketing somewhere and they're like, email, what do I email? Just send them a newsletter, okay? I'll send them a newsletter. And then you do that for a while and it works a little bit. And then the next marketer you get under you and they're like, I'm the email marketer, what do I do? send the newsletter. And that's basically why Batch and Blast and why the evolution hasn't truly happened is that's how they learned it and they think that you could be an email marketer, you can be a media buyer, you can do all these other things, but reality is email is the main channel for most people. Why aren't you treating it like a main channel? You don't do that with your media buying which is the most expensive channel that you have where email is the cheapest channel because it's retention marketing, it's people who've already said they want to be on your list. But people don't think like that.
0: Yeah. They're all about the the next. The right? next, yeah. correct. What's the cool,
1: crazy call <laughs> yeah, thing? I want to go yeah. do Instagram, uh, DMS, and automate. But what about your email list? It's right there. That's where all well, your so money's like you said,
0: at. It's the first and it's first party. Yeah. And you own it. And yeah. they can take it with you, right? And it's not. You're not going to get shut it's, down by. It's the
1: strongest anymore. asset in almost any business outside of their product. Yeah. Yeah. There's a reason. Thirty, forty percent of their income comes from that. It yeah. should.
0: So, and that, I mean, I love that metric right there because if you don't have thirty or forty percent of your income coming from your email list, yeah. That's a big lever to go look at and pull.
1: Yep, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. If you're not doing that, it just means something. That does not mean send more emails. It means look at what you're doing and figuring out how to adapt to it. And that's but, I think that's clear too. And sometimes
0: it is to send more emails. I was going to ask like, do you have any insight on how many emails people should be sending? I'm sure that's a big variable. <laughs> um, but is there like, is there a gut check for, you know, is it once a day? Is it tw- like once a.
1: Okay, so I, I instead I flip this onto the person user, Perfect, right? Yeah. I say, How many emails do you think you should get per day or per brand from each other for your own list. If you were interested in your your own customer, how many should you get? The answer is usually at max one in my opinion. I know people like to do two or three sometimes. I think it's aggressive, but it also depends on your model, right? One is to me more than enough in many cases, but you should have reasons to have two or three, such as I have an urgency, I have a closing, I have a sale, whatever that may be, but really just to have that. But ultimately it's all training. That's the biggest key to me. If you mail at 9 a.m. on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Always mail at 9 a.m. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. Don't change that thinking that you're pattern interrupting or anything. People expect different things, and in their day cycle, people are creature habits, habit, so they expect a certain thing to happen. There,
0: should you, if you're getting more, not aggressive with email, just more tactical with your email, is there a stage where you should be just testing, though, and like kind of sending different times to see what's getting better open? Absolutely. Going, Absolutely. Yeah. They
1: should be testing. But you know what's funny is... I think we use too much data on the email side on this board. This is what I tell people about timing. There's two other channels that you have that you're not tapping into. Your website. When are people visiting your website, when are they peak? And your social media because that's another place that people look at your social media stats and you might say, hey, my people are really on at 6 p.m. but I've been mailing them at 9 a.m. Why don't I try 6 p.m. and experiment that and see what happens? And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work because they're still used to your 9 a.m. I think that's one of the things. Anik is an 8 a.m. guy. He mails at 8 a.m. every day, 8 a.m. Eastern, every day, Monday through Friday, pretty much. And he, that's what he does, right? He knows that's his metrics and statistic, and that's what he pushes for, right? But that doesn't mean that he's right or wrong there. It just means that that's his audience and what they expect out of
0: him. I imagine that builds a baseline, too. So, you know, if something under or overperforms, it's not because you mailed it at a Correct. period of time. Yeah. Correct. And you yeah. can say, yeah, you mail at midnight once in a while and it'll spike
1: and you'll be like, oh, it's all about midnight. And you're like, well, not really. If your customers US based, most customers aren't up at nine, uh, midnight. So you just got lucky that day for whatever reason it might have been. So test it and keep optimizing it. But it's also about being steady and doing the same thing over and over again. So there's like a guide like, you know, it's hard, right? That's why you need an email marketer to test and think about these things. You need the to right tool to experiment and split test that with it as well too. And split testing is no longer just subject lines, obviously. I know people optimize for opens. Well, now that iOS 15 is coming, you can't optimize for opens. So now you got to optimize for clicks or revenue. And that becomes the body and the CTA and the call out. Still matters the subject line a little bit less because CTA is a whole different animal than that, right? Yeah. So it's know. copy at that point, right? It is,
0: yeah. What, if you're a solopreneur, you put yourself in that kind of shoe, and you're like okay i need to do more of this um what, what point do you look on bringing someone in is it like a certain email size revenue number that you're trying to like re- replicate yourself out of like do you have any insight into you that you know you know that's an interesting question
1: because one of the funny things about like the actual email side of things that i see with the best people is they're still personally running that one channel themselves onyx still writes his own yep. emails uh i know some other great companies they all write their own emails still to this day and because they want to control the narrative and the story so I don't have the right answer I think it's when you're ready when you're comfortable maybe your expertise isn't you copywriting. That,
0: maybe you're bringing that data
1: analyst yeah, right exactly or other piece how about you, you alleviate some of the weight off of you yeah. or maybe you do take it off but there is isn't a right number I think you do need to get some traction obviously you should learn it fundamentally I think it's really important and what you will learn is if you do build this right you have a brand and a voice in an audience that you really love and adore and if you do really have an audience or a list that you really do adore, then you'll want to be a part of that to send that message out. That's a, that's the number one thing I noticed is any good brand, especially, always has that person who wants to continue to write that. You know, and I think it's part of just the business, and they understand how important it is in the revenue. So, um, but if I were to think about it, I would say you still want to still at least get to at least a 10 to 20,000 list before you start thinking about outsourcing. Because when you outsource it, I, I hate to say this, but like agencies or anything, they. They don't care as much as you care about your own business. And that's the truth in reality. They've got 10 other businesses that they need to care just as equally as much. And you shouldn't be outsourcing it out when you don't need to just yet. Go hire some of the other stuff you're doing like customer service maybe you're doing or product building or all these other things. Try to keep the core of what that one thing is because that's your lifeline and the one lifeline that you have. And you might as well own that, right? So that's how we think. At least I think about it like that. That's the one place that it's hard. A lot of companies and founders don't want to let go of that one place and I think that's the right move.
0: I would agree. Yeah. No. Okay. That makes a ton of sense. Are there any other ones? Are there any big red flags that someone should, other than the copy paste and you know stop the blast and that kind of thing? Is there any other obvious red flags to you that the lay person probably doesn't know and it's getting themselves in trouble or that they could avoid?
1: Um. Otherwise, I guess it's just the offer itself. I, I, You know, I always say, like, when you get to the offer, I know ClickBank does their due diligence on every offer and everything else, but not everyone uses ClickBank. Before. They should, but they're not. <laughs> they have third-party offers. But look, that's what I say. If it smells like a scam or it looks fishy, it's probably fishy, and there's a lot of chance behind a problem. So just make sure that you're representing yourself well because – As an affiliate marketer, anything you promote is a representation of yourself. So, you know, I think too many people, at least I know when you're on a rush, you're not thinking about anything. You don't even think in what that offer is, what they're selling, but just look for a second and just make sure that you're vetting and say, hey, I would like that if I was on my own list and I think it would do well. It's not just about money, in my opinion. It's about making sure you're serving to your tribe. For right, you're
0: adding value. Yeah, right. you're yeah. showing
1: something of value, right? And I think that's, uh, you know, ClickBank does a great job with this, but not every offer network does that great job where they're really, truly doing their diligence on the offer. And ultimately, I've seen some offers and said, hmm, that doesn't look very real. You know I mean? It doesn't seem unrealistic. And That is now a representation of your brand or your email right there, right? Because if they do buy that, what's going to happen? First, they're going to get on their list. Two, they're going to get blasted with more offers. And three, they're going to always remember that you were the one that referred them to there. And if it was a negative experience, they're going to give you that negative mark just as much as most as just as much as the opposite side. When you're positive, they say, thank you for introducing me to people.
0: I love that approach. Yeah, yeah. that's how it should get, be. You should yeah. be getting thanked for should every one to one referral. Yeah. Almost, that's right? how yeah. it should feel. It should yeah. feel like
1: you're getting thanked for each area of referral because you're helping them continue to push forward in their life for whatever you're doing to help them out as well too.
0: I love that approach. Yeah. Yeah. So it seems like the big things here to me are right. Stop the copy and blast you know, write Or at least get to 40% unique. Yeah. Is it 40% unique? Yeah,
1: What's 40% it? unique is a good yeah. one to say. Yeah.
0: yeah, which is probably not a perfect number to follow. But you know, no. writing your own voice craft copying your own voice. Um, first party data is huge. That seems to be the big trend moving forward, yep. right? Correct. Yeah. And how to segment that out. And then as you can layer in a lot more, take that data and actually leverage it and get smarter about how you're sending on a human level. Yep,
1: exactly. Yeah. And just make the experience better. That's yeah. a, that's number one. Say is just well, make thank, the experience better.
0: I, I always look like, look back. I, I come from SEO before yeah. performance marketing and stuff. And it's like if you look at what Google or Facebook or any of these platforms do, they want a good user experience. Yeah. Right. And that is inherently a good thing, Yeah. right? It can lead to more time on Google, more time on Facebook, less time on your site and things like that, but just meet them where they're at and provide a good customer experience, a good user experience to the person and you'll be rewarded in kind.
1: Memories, just leave them yeah. good memories. That's really <laughs> it, right? People live for memories, especially the young generation right now, they're all about memories. They're not about uh, money or value, they want memories and leave them a good memorable expression and they will talk about you. I think that's the one thing about great memories is you te- get talked about.
0: Yeah. No, listening up on like the dark funnel, right? You don't always know where your customers are coming from. Like they could be experiencing your brand across multiple channels mm-hmm. before they ever make a decision, right? And your email list is part of that. You're correct. You know, you can probably get more data into that because of this first party, but you know, you can be surveying them, segmenting them, figuring out how they came onto that list even treating them differently because of that. Yeah. You no, know? so it's, it's going to be pretty compelling.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm with you on that one too, as well.
0: Where, um, if people want to reach out or like get to know you better or send lane better, like what is a good channel for that?
1: You know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm one of those weird people that float around a lot of social channels, but I don't interact with a lot of places. Um, I, I do respond to almost any channel, but like I even put out that my email, my email is jk at jkatsendlane.com. Like it's, it's easy. It's not very hard. Email me, I'll answer questions. I don't mm-hmm. mind. And I think that to me, it's uh, always been about just being able to talk to people and having that one-on-one relationship. Even our customers today, I try to talk to almost every customer just to make sure they know I'm aware and I understand who they are and they're someone important to me as a business owner as well. And I think that's really important. So, so uh, that's the easiest way to email, but you can find me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, everywhere. I'm, all, I'm, I'm pretty modern with this kind
0: of stuff. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. No, I, I think I told you this um, before we hopped on and stuff, but I always really appreciate the knowledge you put out, especially in like, some of the Facebook groups we're both in and things like that. Yeah, I can tell you're just trying to leave people better than you found them, yeah. right? Whether it's helping Sendly or not, you're just like, "Hey, this is what you should be thinking about. This is what's happening." So, you're super knowledgeable. You're putting some great stuff out there, and thank you so much for hopping on this podcast and sharing your value with our listeners.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's always always fun, and it, you're right. It's my entrepreneur journey to leave something better than I lo- uh, than I met it, and that's that's my goal, and that's how I leave my legacy. So that's where I'm here. So
0: yeah, I love it. Thanks, Jimmy. Yeah, absolutely. Cheers. Happy skiing.